Hello and welcome to How Many Geese. I'm Jack Baddams. And I'm Roddy Shaw. And if you're looking for a nature podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously... Then we are the natural selection. On today's show... We've really sort of crossed the Rubicon into the hellish sea life now. They do look a bit alien, don't they? A bit. I would be hard-pressed to find an animal that looks more alien than these. There is a particular species of crab in the UK called velvet crabs that are the assholes of the crustacean world. Ladies and gentlemen, Roddy Shaw has just been squirted alive on how many geese? <laughs> Listeners, you know by now that Roddy and I are big fans of a field trip. So, when we heard that one of our listeners was a Navy marine biologist, we couldn't say no to the opportunity to pay her a visit. After receiving our military clearance, we headed down to Portsmouth to meet Harriet, who was going to open our eyes to the wild world beneath the waves. Ladies and gentlemen, esteemed listeners of How Many Geese, you join us in one of the most mental places we've ever had the pleasure to record. Yeah. Roderick Shaw, would you like to describe our surroundings? We are, well, we're by the sea. We are, but our first, how many geese at the seaside? Yep. Um, and there's a lot of warships around Yeah, us. I think that's the, that's the thing I was waiting <laughs> for you to get to, is the fleet of warships <laughs> that surrounds us. Yeah. Because we are at Whale Island. A.K.A. HMS Excellent. A.K.A. Navy Command. Yeah. Why are we here? Well, we've been invited here by Harriet. Hello, both. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Why are we here? First of all, can you explain who you are and what you do here? Yeah, so I am one of the Navy's few marine biologists. That's very cool. Yeah, well, I think it is, you know. So my job um, is to basically advise the Navy on how to conduct their activities within and around marine protected areas in an environmentally considerate manner. Right. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's what I do. Yeah, so when they're waging war on the high seas, <laughs> you want them to do it. <laughs> you know respectfully of the ocean life you can make sure they're cutting their little plastic you know (laughs) beer six can holders um so now we are here to look at something in particular aren't we yes we're here to look at something that i don't think either of us ever ever heard the term before no and when i heard it i'm going to admit i think it's one of the worst words i've ever heard (laughs) in my life biofouling it's a wonderful word that aptly describes what we're going to look at today. <laughs> so what is biofouling? It is organic fouling, in this case, of the maritime environment. Right. So it's basically species that have inhabited things that are in the sea. So okay. if, um, if you have a, a boat and it's sitting in the water, what sits underneath the water will in- inevitably become fouled by organisms that live in the sea. And when you say fouled, it's just the things that are living on it, isn't it? Correct, yeah. yes, okay. yeah. The term biofouling is used and it has very negative connotations because when boats are at sea, they inevitably don't really want stuff on their hull because it drags them through the water. Right, and, yeah, I see, okay, efficient. that makes sense. Yeah. So we're talking about all the, I mean, me and Roddy have made our feelings known on the sea. Things should stay in it. <laughs> And our knowledge of things in the sea. Minimal. So, <laughs> I'm going to say we are we're here firmly... to pull things out of the sea. <laughs> so we're breaking rule number one. <laughs> yeah, thankfully, it's not just reliant on us to talk about it, or we would be breaking rule number two. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we know very, very little. So we are 
firmly in your hands. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we want to say thank you for even getting us here in the first place. You're most welcome. Because you had to sit in on some meetings. <laughs> I did. With the Navy to explain what how many geese was. I did, which was a, a, a marathon in itself. Yeah, I think my favourite message that you sent me while you were going through the process was just had to explain to the Navy what how many geese was and uh, try to make it sound like you don't just want to fuck secretary birds or something like that. <laughs> it was a tricky situation was, I found myself in. Which yes. was brilliant. But you obviously pulled it off because we're here. We've got our funky little badges. We've had our pictures taken. And we're, uh, we're ready to go and have a look at some bio-fouling. Yeah, I mean, it's just bonkers. Yeah. This whole situation. Security clearance, men with guns, battleships. Yeah, like <laughs> battleships, destroyers, frigates, aircraft carriers around us. And we're here to look at a mollusk. <laughs> <laughs> or two, really. <laughs> Right, shall we go find them? Let's do it. In what I'm going to call the sketchiest recording, logistically in terms of our equipment to date, we are crouched over, what is this, an open pontoon? Yeah, so this is, um, so Navy Command has a a sailing centre where they have a few wooden pontoons and where we have our gig-rowing boats, we've got a floating pontoon, so they're essentially... Um, yeah, pontoons that are all s- slotted together in sort of square forms, a bit like Lego. Yeah. But in between them, there's there's gaps. So what we because of how sheltered it is and how clear the water is, we've moved one of the boats down a little bit. So we've got a nice clear view of all of the biofouling underneath the pontoon. Yeah. It's like you're looking through uh, a hole cut in the ice sort of vibe, isn't it? Yeah. I like that. To describe it. Yeah. We're looking down into the sea. And Roddy is holding the recording gear <laughs> over the top of it. Precariously. Over said sea. <laughs> yeah. um, but we are looking down onto something that I'm going to say looks like it's straight out of a tropical reef. It's amazing what we're looking down at here. There's red things. There's white things. There's yellow things. Orange things, purple things, pink things. Things moving that I wouldn't expect to move. Long things not moving. All sorts of stuff. Harriet, what on earth is going on here? So what we have here is, and just to start off with, few people realise just how colourful our British seas can be. Yeah. And this is a lovely example of how, like you say, red. There's loads of reds, there's loads of oranges, there's loads of fronds going on of all the different species here. So we have essentially a typical biofouling assemblage where we've got, um, so these... I mean, you two will do a better job of describing what they look like than me, but these um, sort of wafty um, tendrils here are essentially um, starfish. So if you imagine a starfish that's been stretched out um, and has got very... um, They look a bit leafy, I guess, don't they? So, yeah, so they look like plants corals i'm going to file them in that category yeah ferns i think they look ferny they they? do they look exactly so they look like red ferns yeah that's exactly what they look like they're quite i mean they're what how many what uh, like three or four inches long maybe the biggest ones yeah yeah um and they're they're just absolutely coating all around this little hole that we're looking into they are doing very well here Um, and I've taken so prior to this podcast I thought it'd be a good idea to buy a bucket for us off off Amazon 
um, and what I thought was um, a standard uh, a, a standard household see-through bucket so we could put some of the species in it turned out, out to be a, a child's crabbing bucket <laughs> with a pink lid a pink net and a crab on it yeah a crab and a sandcastle on it so <laughs> spared no expense <laughs> non has been spared you're both very welcome so what I've done is put some of these uh, they're called feather stars start from the beginning so yeah. they're called they're called feather stars and they're related to um, to the standard starfish and they have these these tendrils you can see them walking around in the bucket there there is nothing standard about these starfish lying <laughs> <laughs> that is some doctor who level shit yeah they do look a bit alien don't they a bit like i would be hard pressed to find an animal that looks more alien than these how many how many legs have they got one so this, ten. Ten. Okay. This, yeah so Save this this job. one has 10 long legs and then if i flip him upside down you can see those smaller ones underneath there. Oh yeah. So oh if I show Roddy's, Roddy's sitting on the other side. It's like his arsehole has legs. That <laughs> is pretty much what it is. So Nailed it. The, the, and to quote Harriet, it's a bit alien, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a tad. So the middle acts both as arsehole and mouth, which is quite standard in the marine environment. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they sit on the seabed with arsehole and mouth on the bottom. Classic. And the the legs they use to, to, to um, attach themselves to the seabed and then they can also swim as you can see them using the, the larger ones like that's the thing though in this bucket it's really active because yeah. when you when we look down into the, the hole that is the sea and they're all lining around they you can sometimes see their fronds wafting a little bit their legs but they're not I mean, when they're in this bucket, they're really, like, moving around. They're probably wondering what on earth this cartoon crab is. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so when they're, when they're in the water, the way that you see them naturally when we're on the pontoon, the, the moving fronds, they sort of, they curl out. So you can see them curled out here, and yeah. they curl down as they catch all the different things in the water column. So they, they, they feed, they're filter feeders, essentially. So they filter stuff in the water column and grab it all with those long arms and then push it down into their, into their mouth. Yeah, they are just like ferns in reverse, because ferns, the leaves start out all coiled up and then slowly uncoil. And these yes. are almost going the other way. They're all coiled out and then you can just watch them slowly coiling up as they bring things into them. The yeah. anti-fern. Do they have eyes? No. Okay. No. No further questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they, they, they just sit there and blindly filter feed. And do you get these in rock pools? Um, so these are subtidal. So if you see them in a rock pool, they yeah. will be very low down on the seashore, right. perhaps in a rock pool that's exposed only on low, like a spring low tide. Because I don't think I've ever seen these. And no. I live in Derbyshire, so that's probably not surprising. <laughs> but uh, even when I've been rock pool, even when I've ventured into the sea, uh, I've never seen yeah, anything like this. So this is why I thought it might be not quite nice here because most of the time you'll only see this sort of stuff if you dive because it's all always under the water. Yeah. So what we've got here, and this is why I brought you on to, to Whale Island because I know that this is here, is for you to be able to see all the stuff that you would usually only see on a dive. Yeah, in the shadow of HMS Bristol. Yes. Yeah, so. which is, we should say, 100 feet away, there's an entire destroyer. Destroyer. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, just to add to how surreal this is, we're peering into an alien space world in the shadow of a naval destroyer. <laughs> um, I can see pinky, purpley ones, but also what look like orangey ones. So, are there multiple species here, or does the one species just have loads of colours? So, yeah, it's just a, d lots of different colours of the same species. Okay. So they're all slightly dichotomous, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. So, this whole thing we're looking at, and very much the point in a sense of being here is this word biofouling yes now why is this beautiful garden of nature foul <laughs> because to 
us homo sapiens it's pain so the the boat there's well, there's three rowing boats here one of which we've sort of shunted down to open up the um the area for us to have a look into this one that's in the water is going to get all of this biofouling on its on its bottom yeah right because it's sitting in the water okay. so when we go and row this it's such a pain to drag it through the water a lot more energy is required yeah, yeah. and you can imagine scaling that up to like hms bristol the yeah. amount so much more fuel is required when you have a, a fouled hull even a slightly fouled hull it would be like moss and ferns growing on planes there you go wouldn't it here we go you know analogy man yeah. terrestrial stuff <laughs> Terrest- not yeah. my forte let's just put it in the yeah let's put it in plain earth terms <laughs> for everybody to understand barnacles so on an eagle <laughs> <laughs> so how often do you clean it like a big battleship with the biofouling does it come out to be scrubbed once a year like what is the actual effort involved i guess in removing all of this do you know at all that is a great question and it's one that the navy is currently trying to get a particular handle on because of like climate change you know sustainability oh is it happening faster oh, oh. As, sorry as in because we we need to use less fuel yes um, yes yes so you know the overall aim on the planet in general is to yeah. use less fuel and one of the in inverted commas easy wins is for the navy to manage its <sighs> biofouling is to get rid of the colonial squirts <laughs> yes <laughs> Oh my god, Col- planet. colonial squirts thrown into the spotlight of sustainability <laughs> all of a sudden. Hordes of divers scrubbing colonial anuses. Yeah, off. because when, when Roddy, <laughs> when you said like how do you get do you get them out to clean them? Yeah. I'm guessing people have to go under and clean them. It depends on the ship, on what it's yeah, doing, okay. but yeah, but uh, basically a, there's a tailored approach depending on what the what the ships are up to. Like so like the big destroyers can you just get it out of the water? So it, it depends. I mean, over. so we're currently sitting near Portsmouth Navy Base, and yeah. that is one of the areas where they can get them out for uh, maintenance and things like shit. that. The same in the other Navy bases around the UK. Damn. But it's quite an effort to get, as you can imagine, well, to yeah, get a warship huge. out. Yeah. Massive. So there's um, a lot of research at the moment into closed loop cleaning systems, whereby you can capture the biofouling and then destroy it, um, uh, uh, dispose of it rather uh, appropriately. It depends on where the ships have been to... Yeah. Yeah. you know prevent non-native species and things like that i yeah. was gonna say what is an appropriate like do you just chuck it in the sea and then seagulls come and eat it all or like well because it, it's it's in the sea you know what i mean it's not but are there loads of invasive species here which we need to sort of i guess what's like the biosecurity yeah it's a great side of things of that's, dealing that's a, with the biofile yeah that's a great question so it depends on where the ships have been and there's there's initiatives within the navy to um to ensure that they don't um, introduce invasive non-native species, um, one of which being, you know, tailoring the operational profile of the ships um, to a particular cleaning system and, and things like that to ensure that they don't introduce non-native species. Yeah, because if a, if a ship has been based in an ocean on the other side of the world for a while and accumulated yeah. all this and then you bring it back and clean it and dump it all in the sea... That's not great, is it? That is exactly what we... That's part of my job, is to uh, advise on, on those particular situations. Okay, cool. I mean, what we have here, though, is, um, as far as I can see, in all native yeah. fouling. Um, so this is entirely ubiquitous around the UK. You know, you'd see this anywhere. We just happen to have found a nice spot to come and view it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like if, if a ship has been accumulated... So these, these boats here in HMS Bristol, which, which has been there for a hell of a long time, um, you know, if she ever gets moved or if these get heavily fouled and then we need to, to move them, not that the rowing boats would go um, over to the Caribbean or anything, but y- you could clean these happily here. and Before you. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's all been grown natively, as it yeah. were. And how long does it take them to, to 
come here. I mean, to there, foul. Yeah, there are other <laughs> things in here as well, which which we will get onto, but these are just the most obvious because they're making up the majority of what we're looking at. But how long does it take the feather stars and all this sort of stuff to accumulate? Is it a surprisingly quick process? Is this a result of quite a lot of time so it's usually i mean these these pontoons here have been here for maybe three years now okay um but you'll see so we go rowing fairly fairly frequently sort of on a, on a weekly basis and you'll see it change throughout the throughout the year yeah. so during the winter there's nowhere near as much here because stuff dies off um as a sort of general background in the sea you have two very productive periods so sort of april time and then later in the summer mm-hmm. when we have what are called phytoplankton blooms so as the sun gets warmer it gets brighter everything in um in in the sea blooms so you get um pl- phytoplankton in the in the water column because that has the light to be able to photosynthesize they boom and then everything that that starts off the um the productivity process right. so during that time you then start to get all of the other things that feed on that uh, become far more prevalent and you tend to get sort of a slimy layer that fouls first and then the benthic organisms like um bryozo- benthic being attached to the seabed um like bryozoans and and sponges and barnacles they tend to colonize first and then you get the more mobile species like these um they're called crinoids the things that we've been talking about feather stars right um you get because they're actually mobile they sort of start to then colonize right that's interesting that the mobile ones get their last so a lot of the way that um the life cycle of a lot of stuff in the sea tends to work is if you take so we have um a tunicate here Yep. So that being um, a sea squirt. Yep. Um, so those, if you can see the, the hole at the top there. Yep. So essentially it looks like a, a rugby ball with a hole at the top and another hole on the side. Yep. Um, so there's another nice one over there where you can yeah. see the, the hole in it. Got it. They, um, as, as an example, oh, there's another lovely one here actually over there. See him? Look at him. Oh, what yeah. a lovely tunica. What a squirt. <laughs> <laughs> so this lovely sea squirt is um as an example of how a lot of the the life cycles of of marine species work so he's currently attached to the underside of the pontoon yeah but when it comes to um the mating season of the of the sea squirts i bet that's wild oh you have no idea <laughs> i bet that's carnage <laughs> clouds the entire water it's like column. spring break <laughs> <laughs> turn this pontoon into magalus <laughs> <laughs> um, it's uh, they they release eggs and sperm into the water column and which are then fertilized and it's just like Magaloo. <laughs> <laughs> in the case of of the tunicates the the fertilized um sponges do the same thing so in the case of sponges the fertilized eggs will um come back into the sponge and um become larvae which are then expelled into the water column they have a planktonic stage which again is feeds everything else yeah the ones that do survive will then reattach to the seabed and become sponges right. tunicates but they can also bud off each other so mm. that tunicate is a solitary one have we got any colonial ones under here here we go. For anyone who's listened to earlier episodes, <laughs> Colonial Squirt shared anus. <laughs> so, Rod, you somewhat stepped, you stepped on my toes there. <laughs> I was slightly upset when you mentioned that. However, <laughs> here we have colonial ones. So oh. they're a lot smaller. Yeah, and they're like little orange, they look like little orange rocks. They're like little orange flowers. Yes, yeah. okay. Flowers yeah. is a nicer word, yeah. So this... this oh, they're tiny, yeah. I can, sp- I can see their structure. I can see the little holes on the top. Yeah. Can you see okay, Roddy? Yeah, Roddy's yeah. in a much more precarious position for the, for the listeners. <laughs> Legs akimbo, pretty much in the sea. <laughs> His favourite place to be, I hear. 
Um, so yeah, these this big um, solitary sea squirt there that has and they're such an interesting species they have one big sort of um, gloopy mass uh-huh. as their as their body and the big old gloopy bit around the outside is called its tunic hence the name tunicate oh. um, and inside they have a branchial basket so they filter a load of water through their inhalant siphon and it all gets um, essentially digested and caught in their branchial oh. basket and then they exhale through the other siphon so all of the waste and things goes out of the other one so he's living on his own attached to the seabed and does all that by himself these colonial ones whilst each in, so each individual small hole there each individual small hole is an inhalant siphon which does the same thing as this big ones yeah but they all so you've got like each individual one is like the petal of a flower yeah mm. and then in the middle they all exhale through that one so that's the uh, colonial anus that Roddy so eloquently yeah. described in a previous episode <laughs> yeah because the big one looks like you know it's like thumb size yes and then the small ones are like the size of your fingernail all like clumped together yeah and they all have a uh, colonial tunic as well so they're uh, all under like the same gelatinous mass right mm. okay can we get onto the uh, the palm trees the palm trees <laughs> that are in here because there's these really long tubes that are like straws and then out of the end of them come all these feathery little bits um, and then all of a sudden they just sort of explode into a big firework and then they pop back in what are these? So these are peacock worms. Peacock worms. Well, hang on. That right? That's neither a peacock nor a worm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're correct. You're fifty percent correct. It's not a peacock, but it is a worm. <laughs> not a worm as I know it. <laughs> it certainly doesn't look like a terrestrial worm. So what? Uh, what these are? If anyone's ever dived in on tropical reefs, um, they're a relative of the Christmas tree worm, which yes. tend to sit inside corals, and you only really see the palm tree bit of it. So it's this um, long old trunk is what the worm secretes as it grows. Mm -hmm. So if you pull the worm out of there, which we're obviously not going to do, but it's essentially like a segmented worm. So it looks a bit like a centipede. Okay. And then it's got those, those are feeding fronds again. So as with the majority of this stuff, it filter feeds in the water column. So it'll stick its palm tree out into the water, catch a load of stuff and then as it's done at the moment, sort of half inside its, its tube. Yeah. Um, it's that's, that's how it feeds. But there was a one, there was one a little bit lower down, and they're quite long, these things. Mm. Um, yeah. And then when its frond was out, it was massive. Yeah. It was really huge. They're very beautiful, little stripy jobbies as yeah. well. Yeah. Once again, very tropical vibes. Yeah. I'm glad this is what you're picking up because it is, I think, biofiling in particular, like it's such a mundane word, and everyone thinks that the British seas are very bland in comparison to to the Caribbean, and in some ways they are. But you see this, like it's. It's yeah. beautiful. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. It's gorgeous. And I'm seeing the odd shrimp as we're here. I've yeah. seen a shrimp or two bumbling by and small fish. Yeah. And in our vicinity are much well, bigger fish. Then, yeah, in occasionally as we're sat here, you will just see swimming below, like just Looming. emerging out of the murky depths, very Meg style. Um, <laughs> there is a, there's massive mullet. Yeah, they're yep. huge. They are massive. They're a, they're a good what couple of feet, maybe maybe <laughs> a, a foot yeah. and a half. They're massive, and yeah, occasionally, just as we're looking down, looking at all these small things, just this grey, yeah, looming monster <laughs> just comes down from below. They're killer mullet. They yeah. are they are big boys. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and because we're in a, a harbour which is nice and sheltered, it's not a very energetic environment, which is indicative and typical of of these kind of environments where 
you know, people come and moor their boats in a nice sheltered area, it tends to be very silty. Mm-hmm. Um, so very fine sediment tends to settle on the bottom, which is perfect habitat for mullet. So you'll see them, you often see them in areas like this. Yeah. But these ones are definitely looming, as you say. Yeah. Oh, the peacock worm's coming out now, look at it. He's properly out. But the biggest peacock worm that we can see is currently slowly emerging that's so cool very slowly like re- like inching out and then is it going to open its front it's like some kind of invertebrate burlesque show <laughs> it's, it's a little bit saucy isn't it yeah it's a bit it's very coy of and, the worm and now it's just wafting slowly wafting hypnotically wafting god we're all falling for this worm <laughs> we're all just going to drop into the sea now like That's how they get you, sirens. <laughs> yes, yeah, some sirens call. We thought it was mermaids or manatees, but no, it was a worm. <laughs> Should we go take a look at another thing? Yeah, did you say we're able to get some of this out of the water and have a look at it? Yes, yeah. So what I wanted to show you was what it all looks like, sort of lovely and open and, and in the water. Um, but we've got some of the of the fenders that are also sitting just in the water, which we can pull out and I can show you under a microscope some of the sea mats and things. Amazing. Yeah. Let's Let, go. Let's go do that. So we've moved over um, closer to the massive warship to um, to a particular rope that Harriet is quite keen to pull out of the sea and show us what's living on it. So um, do you want to take it away, Harriet? Yeah. Oh, my word. So as it comes out, it is thick with some things that I recognise. I can see things squirting off of the rope. I can see the sea squirt. Oh my! Like they squirt far. That was a that's big squirt. (laughs) And yeah, I mean that's just a whole rag of life. They just moved the mic. I feel like. Whoa! (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Roddy Shaw has just been squirted alive on how many geese? (laughs) Okay, this is getting intense. This needs multiple disclaimers now. <laughs> a lot of click here to enter this recording. <laughs> so what we essentially have here is everything that I was showing you under the pontoon, but now out of the water. So I recognise a few things we've got here. Yeah. I can see some peacock worms. Yep. I can see the feather stars. Yes. I can see the sea squirts that we've yes. just seen. Um, Roddy got live action off. Live action, yeah. So what else have we got on here that we can that we can see now we've pulled it out of the water what i did want to show you if we can find some are sea mats so you kind of need to get up close and personal to figure out what they look like and they tend to oh so we've got one here on the sea squirt so you see that sort of red bit on there yeah so what i've bought a couple of little microscopes if you can free your hand so if you get up close and personal with that little sea mat there that's on some sea squirts. Am I going to get seawater in my eye? Uh, not unless you stimulate Ooh. it. Oh, it's got lots of dots on it. I don't know how well you can see it because they are very small, but they're called sea mats, which are which a um, technical term is bryozoans. It looks like um, when you see chewing gum stuck to the floor, it looks like red chewing gum stuck to the floor, like a nice red, like a burnt orange actually maybe, and then it's got really nice patterning with just these black dots in rows all over its surface so those black dots on the on the chewing gum of the sea squirt are um individual organisms so 
much a, a little bit like the colonial sea squirts. Yeah. So each individual dot is um, an organism with its basically its mouth open. It's lying on its back. It's got its mouth open, and they have what are called cilia, so small hairs protruding into the water column to filter feed things out of the water. Ah. And each each individual one is called a zooid. Do you remember Roddy on a previous episode as a Super fan. I'm now going to test you on your memory of your own podcast. <laughs> you mentioned the Portuguese man of war. Yes. Similar, similar thing. Um. In that, I mean, looks completely different, but in that you've got individual organisms, individual zooids in inverted commas, providing different functions to the colony. So the the inflated sac of the Portuguese man of war helps it to move around at the surface. Yep. Some of them have nematocysts, so stinging cells on yep. them, that, and then other ones digest and, and things like that. It's a similar thing with these jobbies. So whilst they all look the same under their little microscope, um, some of them are reproductive, some of them feed, some of them digest. Um, so they're all doing different things. Yes. Oh, squirt. Um. We are getting squirted as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're going to be grown-ups. Okay. Um, How do colonial organisms like that, if you said one of the zooids takes care of reproduction, like if I'm I'm the inflatable sail guy on the Portuguese Man of War, how do I make more inflatable sails of me if the bit that does the reproduction on the Portuguese man of war is a different organism. So it's it's slightly easier to explain perhaps with the bryozoan that we can see in front of us, so the sea mat. Yep. Again, a lot of stuff in the sea either. So it'll start off once it's settled onto the sea square in this case, it can bud into different uh, individuals okay. and they just become specialised. Right, okay. Um, in the Portuguese man of war, they have a um, the medusa stage, which is what like jellyfish are, for example. Portuguese yep. man of war aren't a true jellyfish, but they look like a jellyfish. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a, which is called the medusa stage, so the stage in the water column that is free living, as it were. Yep. So if we move on to jellyfish, which obviously we don't have here because they're free living, um, in their medusa stage at least. So the jellyfish that everyone knows and probably doesn't love but yeah. we all know what they look like yeah that is the in inverted commas medusa stage of the jellyfish life cycle the final stage and not necessarily no so it's very cyclical with with yeah. jellyfish so that stage is in the water column they spawn eggs and sperm meet together in the water column they then float around for a bit and sit on the seabed and they then bud on top of each other so they create like a a, a line in the water column and like then a the tower yes a tower is right. much yeah thank you uh, they create a tower sitting on the seabed and then eventually the top one will bud off and become the medusa stage of the jellyfish mm. but all the ones underneath it in the tower are still individuals yes only one of them will be the no they all just grow and bud they all become yes oh, wow. yeah like a conga line yeah. yeah the conga line of the sea i enjoy that yeah yeah we have a, a sea spider. A sea spider. Let's see if I can get him without hurting him. There he is. Bloop. So we've just found a sea spider, which... Whoa. Looks, he's, he's essentially a crab. Okay, so it is, we're talking crustacean. Yes, yeah. We're yeah, in yeah. the realms of crustaceans. Basically, yeah. Okay. So he's, um, he's currently curled up, but we'll leave him to open up a little bit. And what's so special about this rope? So it's just because it's been in the water for so long. So this is a random rope that is just attached to a pontoon. That's it's an unused bit of rope. There's so many yeah, animals on it. It's, it's clearly covered. been here for a long time. Um, what else do we have on here? So we've got a big old mussel on here. Yeah. So all of that red that's all over that mussel, that's what you just looked at. That's the bryozoan. That's a much better example of oh, it. Oh, the mat. Yeah. The sea mat. That's the sea mat. 
Yeah, so he's absolutely covered in two different types of bryozoan there. So the dark red one yeah. and a lighter one. That's also the same thing. That's another species of bryozoan. Oh, cool. Oh, sorry. Every time I move this bit of rope, <laughs> it's squirting. <laughs> it's As a amazing. Marine. Like, genuinely, oh. it's like little water guns just, like, firing out. Oh, what the fuck is that? That's squibbly as fuck. What? That's not cool. <laughs> that's not. That's not PG. That it does look a little bit erotic, doesn't it? Everything on this rope is a bit. It's literally squirting at us. That's no, 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 no. A thousand times no on that thing. We've really sort of crossed the Rubicon into the hellish sea life now. Yeah, the feather stars were cute. The sea squirts were like fun. That whatever Harriet's just thrown in the little pink crab bucket should not be. It's like, it's basically the closest thing I can describe. It's a, like a leech with spines down its body, and and I'm, and and it's orange. <laughs> so these are annelid worms. So these are segmented worms that are related to the peacock worms. It's about maybe ten centimeters long. Yeah. Because some of them, yeah. just to add to it, have got just like stringy lines pulsating off of the front of their, what I'm guessing is their face. But it could yeah. be their arsehole. <laughs> because, <laughs> because this is the sea. We can't be sure with the sea. So that's what they capture and feed with. So they're quite active, aren't they? They're actually going for the crinoids there, so maybe I should move those. Does it out. want to eat the crinoids? Yeah, I mean, it's going for it, isn't it? Yeah. But... Where are we on letting that happen? (laughs) (laughs) So in, um, you know, I mean, that's, it's all happening in the sea anyway. So it would have been happening on on here anyway. We just happened to have moved it out of the water and seen it happen. Which is a real shame for that crinoid. But (laughs) I've never seen a segmented (laughs) annelid worm eater crinoid before. Sorry, crab alert. Yeah, so we've got a couple of crabs here. So these are little short, these are common Carcinus manus, like a, a shore crab. They're the oh. ones that you'll see just in the rock pools. Yeah, and yeah. that's cute because it is just a little tiny miniature crab <laughs> in, in, in all crab form. <laughs> there is a particular species of crab in the UK called velvet crabs that are the assholes of the crustacean world. Are like, they? They've got something to prove. They've got very brightly like fluorescent blue colour with red eyes yeah. and you do not want to get up close and personal with them. What's their problem? Who knows? They're just really angry. Life. That, Life in general. Yeah. If, if you lived in a realm that had these annelid worms, you'd have many problems. You've got to show up or show out. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't get over those annelid worms. They are pretty... I, I mean, even, you know, as a marine biologist, I will admit they look pretty, pretty gnarly. But this is... I mean, this is the great thing. Like, all of this stuff that we are looking at, barring, you know, the crabs that we've just seen, but all of this stuff that we're looking at seems far too exotic. Either, like too exotic and colourful to have just been found you know off the coast of Portsmouth or too like those annelid worms look like they're from the deep sea I reckon we are like we can see obviously we can see the shore here right we're but I reckon we could walk two minutes inland with that bucket and show it to people and they would not know it came from yeah. the estuary yeah the British water yeah I think right? you're completely correct you imagine taking this bucket to Portsmouth High Street <laughs> and standing outside Matalan and showing like, <laughs> the, the, the like just stopping people going into Primark and being like, can you take a look at this? You'd either have quite the crowd around you or be arrested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially if it started squirting. <laughs> oh, it's extraordinary. 
You know what they look like, the annelid worms? What's that? Don't know if anyone remembers as a kid. You used to get those. I can't remember what they were called. Uh, they were on a little invisible fishing line and they were like... What, are they, what were they called? They looked like a mini toilet brush, didn't they? Like they, a long, They, they had like googly brush. eyes on the front. Yeah. And they had like a little... And, and the way you could, move, you could move them between your fingers. Oh, yeah. You know what are they called? They were like a sort of... Um, like somewhere between a giant pipe cleaner and like a very small ferrety weasel thing yeah. and they were a sort of illusion that it would run all over your fingers but, but you secretly you had a, a fishing line and that they were like green and yellow and things like yeah. that yeah those annelid worms they, that one is giving off those vibes yeah yeah i fully fully get what you're saying but just far is. more like ten thousand leagues under the sea yeah yeah alien is what they remind me a little bit uh, of that initial lifestyle yeah life cycle stage of alien yeah the chest burster as it's called in the film <laughs> precisely so just if anyone hasn't grasped the horrors with which we're sort of got in this bucket in this pink bucket with a smiley crab on the front of it <laughs> this is the cutting edge of science i would just like the to ju- underline just how professional this the is the juxtaposition between that smiley crab and all the terrors of the deep that lie within the bucket <laughs> and again i know we've said it in the shadow of a warship yeah <laughs> So we've hauled a... What's this, a fender? Yes, yeah. So we've hauled a fender, which are the things that stop boats banging into the side of pontoons Correct. and the like, um, out of the water. And it's covered, once again, in all manner of creatures, although there's some on here that are different to the ones that we've already seen. Yeah, so this one's a little bit slightly more diverse in the different species that have colonised it. So we've got some massive oysters. They're huge. Yeah. They are big, so like the size of, well, my hand, perhaps not your hands. <laughs> yeah, maybe my palm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we have some, yeah, some bivalves on here. So bivalve meaning two ba- two valves, mm-hmm. which um, so we've got some scallops, yeah. which are covered in sponge oh, as well. Yeah. So this orange bits are nice sponge um, and some big old oysters. And these oysters, are they good oysters or bad oysters? Because there's invasive oysters here isn't there uh, there are yes unfortunately around the uk the majority of the oysters that you find naturally are pacific which are invasive species um and that's what we've got on here are ah, pacific oysters but boo. Uh, bastards hiss they are everywhere unfortunately okay so we've got a couple of big pacific oysters we've got scallop who's just opened his mouth yes yeah they yeah. have rudimentary eyes scallops do oh is that and the dots all along the edge yes how many eyes oh goodness knows Many. Too many. <laughs> Too many. Yeah. <laughs> more than more than you should have on one animal, potentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they as whilst whilst this one's you know, they do live attached to the seabed, they also move around, so they clap their um, valves open and closed and they, they wander around seagrass beds and things like that. There's a few of them on here. Oh, yeah, I see them. Nice yeah. pinky colour to them. And they're just filtering, are they? Exactly the same. Again. Yeah, yeah, like the oysters, most most of the stuff that's sessile, so lives on attached to the seabed or in this case a fender yeah tend to filter feed in the in the water column crab tiny crab we do have some tiny crabs as well yeah yeah and a a shrimp fell off when we got it out as well this crab seems to be eating the leg of a feather star it wouldn't surprise me crabs eat pretty much anything yeah like it's just yeah it's probably chowing down on it so we also have on here some very bright fluorescent orange pink and yellow anemones they look like orange zits (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, you're not incorrect I was say, in your like, analysis. I know you're a defender of the ocean, but tell me I'm wrong. This is a pimple fender, and yeah. that cannot be denied. Yeah. Um, but essentially, so anemones are quite interesting. Like most people probably know what an anemone, what an anemone looks like. Um, but the, a lot of them have, um, so you have snakes, locks, anemones, for example, which are like these, these but bigger, so they can they can sort of get to a couple of inches across. Mm-hmm. And have those big old green fronds in the water. They also harvest um, algae in their in their tentacles. So the tentacles have stinging cells on them, um, so they're carnivores, but also they harbour photosynthetic algae that also photosynthesise and give them energy. So these stinging cells are like imagine a wound up harpoon in a pressurized cell that when the pressure changes so when something touches it it releases the harpoon and the harpoon has a sting to it wow um so as a human you wouldn't really feel an anemone something like a jellyfish you would feel so anemones are related to jellyfish right um that's how they work yes yeah same thing that's like they have stinging cells on them that harpoon you um same thing with corals so a coral is basically an anemone in a calcareous shell right um that uh have so you know coral bleaching is a is a thing out famously in the great barrier reef in the, in the caribbean the corals are all turning white yeah is because the anemone bit of the of the the anemone looking bit of the coral harbors zooxanthellae which are this photosynthetic algae which photosynthesize and give the corals up to about 90 percent of their of their energy um but they can only live in a certain um, acidity and temperature range um, so when they get particularly stressed, if the sea gets acidic because of the amount of carbon dioxide in the air, the right. oceans absorb it, become become more acidic, or the temperature uh, changes fairly rapidly, which is obviously happening sort of around the world at the moment, they expel their zooxanthellae, and that's why the coral turns white instead of all the beautiful colours that so you usually have. So you're just left with the calcareous exactly. construction, exactly. and the living thing has gone. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And I mean, they can survive it, and the zooxanthellae can um, inhabit the, the corals again, but the more it happens, the less likely they are yeah, to recover right. and i have some of my um some of my friends uh, work out on the great barrier reef and things and they're currently cultivating um specific types of coral that harbor zooxanthellae which are more tolerant to temperature and acidity changes so uh, there's initiative conservation initiatives going on to try and restore the reefs wow. i would i've in the last couple of years been you know some tropical places and been in the sea and everything and i I would honestly say there's been more colors on show today than the last few years that i've actually been in tropical waters and stuff like it's crazy yeah it's crazy that makes me very happy that that is your take-home message because that is what i would like to portray if nothing else from today is just how much we have in our seas in the yeah. UK. It doesn't come across particularly well on an audio-only form, but just <laughs> on the underside of this fender we've got green, red, orange, yellow, like purple, like there's loads of it. It's amazing. Yeah. This will be very quiet for a minute and they can hear the colours. <laughs> <laughs> and then this particularly lettuce-looking seaweed... Would you like to know what that's called? I, 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 can I have a guess? You can. Is it called sea lettuce? It is, absolutely. <laughs> I Small would... rosette for Jack. <laughs> is it edible? Uh, inadvisable, I would say. You can, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why you, is it inadvisable? Well, it just... looks delicious. <laughs> it, well, it looks like lettuce. Well, so. Exactly. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's you know things like this. Whilst we we are ascent- we're in Portsmouth Harbour, which has okay. a navy base and a, a port. So it's not the seaweed itself. <laughs> it's where the seaweed is growing i would say it's yeah you, you there's yeah. more um there's areas where it you, you know might be nicer for you to eat the 
the algae there. Because everyone's eating seaweed now. I mean, seaweed. yeah, it's, it's all the rage. Isn't yeah, it? mm. it's uh, that, and I think sea. Um, you get sea kale as well, which is an intertidal species that looks exactly like kale. For all those intertidal hipsters out there, <laughs> yeah, get on it. <laughs> so you keep referring to seaweed as algae. Yeah. Um, and that's all it is, is it? Yes, yeah, so it's yeah. just it's just it's 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 technical name. Right. But yeah, so we have on here we have some red seaweed yeah and some um some green seaweed as well that went um, from technical to basic so fast <laughs> you were making a point of using technical names and then when it came to describing it you said red seaweed and green seaweed <laughs> what do you want from me do you want to- <laughs> <laughs> okay cool yeah i like this fender i'd say it's the best fender i've ever seen <laughs> yeah some of the finest biofouling i've ever encountered it's a lofty claim <laughs> well it's been a day for claims <laughs> Yeah, I don't think we've got anything else that's new on there, really. We've got the tube worms are properly out on this side, look. Ooh. Oh. They are so bizarre. It's, they are quite erotic, aren't they? If you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what we came for, but it's what we're enjoying. <laughs> I mean, there's... We can't get around it. Tube worms, fronds, swaying, squirts, like... There's something happening in biofouling that is just... <laughs> a little bit 18 rated there's yeah. also a very suspicious looking splat over the top of it which um is actually a sponge so all of this oh. it looks like ectoplasm um, mm, yeah. ectoplasm mm. is one way of describing it yeah it's the pc way that i'm going to stick <laughs> yeah. with you won't want to get a uv it. torch on that would you <laughs> <No>. <laughs> don't touch this vendor we are Back with the Birder segment, which this week, Jack Baddams, is called <gasps> Birder She Wrote. Oh, lovely. Like that one. Very nice. Simple. To the point. Clean. <laughs> yeah. But who is she? Who? Who? Well, this week, she is the long-billed Nat Wren. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. So, Jack, do you want to tell everyone why you're so delighted for this bird to be joining us? Yeah, so this is a, a prelude to our sort of Mexican extravaganza, which we'll be releasing uh, very shortly. And while we were there on the Mexico expedition, and we were out doing some of the bird surveys, we, I think just me and you had gone to check the nets, hadn't we? Mm-hmm. And there was this bird in the net that very rarely, without wanting to brag, do I come across... He does. ...a bird that I've never got any concept of whatsoever you know normally i can be like oh that's in this sort of family or that will be like this this thing has six wings four <laughs> legs seven eyes three bills jack didn't know what to do it had a chameleon tongue and an octopus tentacle for an ass <laughs> um this thing that didn't look anything like what Rudy's just described was yeah just hanging in the net and it was a tiny little thing um very sort of round fluffing small with this massive beak sticking off the front of it like the beak must have been i don't know a third a half as long as its body it it was just massive um and we took it out of the net and we took it back to where we were doing the processing and the science and measuring it and everything um and i said to yanni who we were with i said i've got a bird no idea what it is and i remember us looking through the book and saying but i'm willing to bet it's got long build somewhere in the name <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair to him he nailed it yeah 
I mean, Jack has summed up the long build NatRen pretty well. Being as small as it is, one of the benefits of being really small and tiny is it can rest way out on the tips of branches at night and uh, stay safe because of their teeny tiny little small weight, but also have this huge long bill that they can really probe and search and get invertebrates out. So mm -hmm. it's a kind of, I don't know, best of both worlds kind of situation. Yeah. They can needle into the little holes and also... I rem remember being in uh, Indonesia yeah. and when you walk down the little rivers and streams at night, you would often see tiny little birds yeah. roosting right out on the end of sticks. And there was a bird called, uh, it was like a citrine canary flycatcher or something like that. And it would look like a little tennis ball because it would completely like fluff up into a little yellow ball and you couldn't see its head anymore. They would sleep over the water and on the end of incredibly thin branches because there are so many snakes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it keeps them away. And the genus name for the long-billed gnatren, Ramphacanus, means unusual beak. As Ag they have a very long beak. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Hard agree there from us. So if you're in Mexico or the surrounding countries, get out and see if you can find yourself a long-billed gnatren. Um, it's worth it. It's worth it because yeah. they are bizarre. Yeah. Um, Cute. Very cute. Very cute little thing. It was a really good... I think yeah. it was one of my top... Yeah. Well, I mean, if you listen to all the Mexico episodes, you will hear our top species roundup for yeah. what we saw. So there's a teeny little suggestion that this bird may feature. And I honestly can't remember <laughs> <laughs> if it did. Let's hope it does yeah. now. <laughs> but um, a big thank you to Birda for supporting the show. You can go out in the UK, you can log a normal wren, you can go out in Mexico, you can log a long-billed gnat wren, but it's a free app which helps you get outside and explore nature, log birds, get into it. You can download it for free through our Instagram page and the link in the show description. Um, other than that, I think that's all it. Any final points? Uh, I love it. Good. I love the long-billed gnat wren. Good. <laughs> right, back to the show. All right, so we finished our little wander around the pontoons, looking at all the magical things of the sea, uh, and are currently sheltering under the shadow of HMS Bristol. Uh, and Harriet, you've said you've got a question for us. I do, which I've been burning to ask. Yeah, to be honest, you did say that you DM'd it to me. Clearly not good enough. <laughs> nice to have been I didn't respond today. to it. So fair play for like pinning it on us while we're actually here. <laughs> I have come full full frontal attack on yeah. both of you. So okay, let's hear it. Here goes. So your fellow podcaster retires, resigns, dies, whatever. What animal do you choose to replace him with? Question for both of you. Caveat, cannot be a secretary bird. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're getting our podcasting if it was. Precisely. <laughs> yeah. I do remember this question now, and it was very good. Okay, so let's start with what we always do, or what I always like to go to, is qualities of a good podcast host. Before we maybe narrow it down to any personality level, Sexy, sexy body. <laughs> <laughs> Qualities of a good podcast host. I'm already coming out of this on top. <laughs> Immediate qualities seem to be pretty good, so <laughs> crack on. So, I'll, you know, I'm going to want something that's... I'm going to want something that's chatty. Yep. I'm going to want something that's sociable. It doesn't have to be overly sociable, but it can't be like, you know, I'm not choosing a snow leopard. Okay. Because famously, don't make any noise i don't think snow leopards are they one of the few animals that's been recorded like barely making any noise whatsoever probably yeah and they live on their own in the himalayas so they'd yeah. be shit yeah very hard so, to get hold of <laughs> nice fluffy tail for a nap on though you know? 
But to be honest, I don't we're use yet that. To, we're yet to nap on each other. I don't use that. Yeah, Roddy's not. That's not what a skill that I'm looking for. Despite having shared a tent in the past, it wasn't that intimate. I'm sorry to let everyone know. Yeah, I don't know if you know what goes into podcasting, Harriet. Nothing. Yeah. It's not. But it's yeah. not. La- yeah. Fair enough. Um, sorry so- to let you all down on the fan fiction, but <laughs> I'm yet to nestle in Jack's <laughs> bosom. <Yeah. laughs> what I'm just going to do is be quiet and let you. <laughs> Um, Okay, so I'm going to rule out things like uh, really solitary things. So I do want something that is, um, I do want something that's quite chatty and sociable. (sighs) What else do I want? What else? I like. I'm thinking of things like animals that. Okay, from a really shallow perspective, animals that get the hits animals get, that get the views okay so when i thought sociable i was thinking obviously as i always do birds big flocks of birds starlings then my mind went to the beatboxing starling what that like is that always does the rounds on social media there's a video of a starling and because starlings are amazing mimics and as part of their courtship display they copy all sorts of different sounds of other birds but also other sounds in general there's starlings out there that do the sound of like r2d2 and all sorts of stuff and there is one in particular a beatboxing starling that gets posted all the time and gets millions of views so that for me is ticking some boxes it's got viral nous it's got sociability and they're very chatty do you know what's also good about the starling is that they basically have a schedule because one of the things with this is finding times to meet up and actually do it so i don't want an animal which is very scatty and all over the place i need something with a bit of rhythm and structure yeah and starlings have their murmurations penciled in yeah they've got their dawn chorus yeah. they've got probably something they do at night <laughs> Sleep. You, well you know i'm just i'm just saying yeah they've got structure i tell you what you can rule out straight away though so yeah. an animal that has got structure but rules it out for half of the year things like bats yeah very defined structure yeah but you get nothing done in the winter yeah, exactly yeah. the podcast got to go on hiatus okay also, very high frequency vocalization. Yes. <laughs> you wouldn't even hear the podcast. <laughs> um, so, what do you think about this bat? Oh, yeah, great, great <laughs> joke. Great joke, everyone. Um, okay, your thoughts. What else? What, what are you thinking? A level of intelligence. Yep. We've seen some annelid worms today. Yeah. They didn't strike me as good co host material. Despite being ginger, so they would, (laughs) you know, emotionally there'd be some continuity. Without wanting to be insulting, nothing we've seen today. Yeah. I mean, the most action we've got is squirts. Yeah. I I don't think you want your co-host. It's a different kind of show. I think think that's an OnlyFans show. That's the Patreon special. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Are you? Which which law of geese is it that? Bands, the apes. Mm, no, it's they're the out. Of geese. Yeah. Uh, I, do I want an ape on a podcast? I don't. I never want to be in a room with a chimpanzee. <laughs> no, that's, that's true. The, the most terrifying creature of all. First time. rule of my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think orangutans. I feel like I've already seen plenty of podcast clips online that are of people that might as well be orangutans. <laughs> like they're just like really like oh dude like what is it about what Rogan you know. <laughs> 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 But I think, you know, orangutans are like sort of stoner bros. Yeah. I think. And I think there's already enough of those out there doing yeah. podcasts. It's also not really your vibe. No. No. No, it's not really our vibe. Need something with a bit more pep. A bit more pep. I, I'm liking Starling. I'm liking Starling as well. I'm liking Starling. Chatty. I was more thinking 
what each of you would choose as the other. So that's where I think we're working towards. Yeah, okay. we've done the first pass. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, what is the essence of Roddy Shaw? What is the essence this of Badham's? This is what we want. As the listeners, this is what we want. Okay. So, are we going physical appearance? Has it got to be tall? Embody Roddy. Tall, in an animal. dark and handsome. Embodoric. <laughs> I think it's got to be... Okay. So I think it's got to be quite dry. That's what I'm going with. Yeah. So I'm going to make it an animal that is a particularly dry animal, you know? Because I don't think, I don't think there's many... Sar- there's the sarcastic fringe head, actually. But I think sarcasm is doing you down a bit. Sarcasm's a bit... That's a fish. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. Fish woman. Marine biologist. <laughs> Goodness me. You also spoke about those the other week, did yes. you? Yeah. I've yeah. Actually, no, I hadn't heard of those until the podcast. So learning both ways. You're welcome. Yeah. When you say dry, are you thinking like physically dry? Yeah. Like, are we thinking like camel? Well, that's what I mean. There is no animal with a dry sense of humour. But I feel like a camel. So. Woody, would you be dry? Oh, a camel. Maybe I've got a bit of camel energy, actually, now I think about it. If you say camel, <laughs> we're done. <laughs> <laughs> it's the end of the show if you say you'd recast e- me with a camel. Even if it's Bactrian I, I've, I have no <laughs> what idea. beef do you have with camel buddy I, it's just been characterised that's what that yeah is. I think that's yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're not uh, considering one of the earlier things Jack said was tall dark and handsome to then land on camel <laughs> melanistic camel I feel particularly short changed um, but you know it is what it is the rules are the rules um, actually I think one of the greatest contributions you've given to the podcast is terming Australia nature's Thunderdome. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's got to be an animal from Australia. Oh. Because I feel like that's that's your spiritual home. Okay. And you gave us one of our greatest recurring little bits. So I think I'm going to go chatty, bird, big. It's got funky hair. You've got good curly hair. <laughs> I'm going to go for they have in um, Australia, they have palm cockatoos which are huge. They're actually a little bit scary. <laughs> but they're like black. So they're like dark, same colour hair as you. They've got a funky crest. They're chatty. They're sociable. Palm cockatoo from Australia. Nice. Nice. And they've got a bit of an edge. I'm happy with that. They're cool. Happier with that than camel. Much happier than camel, but certainly <laughs> feeling the pressure now, <laughs> I think, to recast Jack. But also there is a lot of red animals. There are a lot of red animals. Not all that you are, though. No, no, but let's be honest. <laughs> God, it's like being back at school again. <laughs> it's like being eight years old all over again. <laughs> um, Jack's currently twitching for, for those. <laughs> Jack's <laughs> always twitching. That's the one thing you need to know about Jack. He never stops twitching. <laughs> that in itself is a key element of this recast. So again, I feel it has to be I think if it was anything other than a bird, he'd feel somewhat insulted. I would have been, to be honest. So, reddish bird. I, th- I have to be honest, I think he's almost cast himself, because going down the contribution to the podcast, mm. we can't ignore Jack's not insignificant social media following. Very true. <laughs> so a very popular starling. Yeah. <laughs> Does seem yeah. down the right path. Um do you get because they've got an iridescence do you ever get ginger flashes in iridescence um, uh my plumage does change you know it gets it gets lighter in the summer it gets darker in the is that that's not iridescence but you know it's something i'll take a start i think they're a bit more social than i am a starling 
that their murmurations are a bit much that that is also yeah that's you know. a that's a key jack fact is yeah social to a point yeah yeah <laughs> there's a clear line in the sand at which jack will check out <laughs> of a social situation <laughs> organized fun being, yeah yeah which firmly. is pure starling organized murmurations oh, are pretty that, organized aren't they that is a good point that's true actually and you do have your um we can never do podcasting on like a monday evening because that's when five-a-side football is <laughs> correct so yeah. that in some ways is the murmuration of the nearing 30 year old male <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I am a starling. I, I, I feel like if you took a starling out of his murmuration, would he be as sociable as he is in his murmuration? Would he just be a bit depressed because he's on his own? It's mm, not really Jack, mm, is it? Mm. Maybe I'm more like heron vibes. You know, sometimes they come together in their heronries. When the time is right, they come together in their heronries, but they're also perfectly happy on their own. Heron's good and tall. Tall. Yeah, I'm gonna, tall. I'm gonna throw creepy in there though. Uh, I'd prefer striking, <laughs> charismatic, <laughs> recognizable. You can't cast yourself, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> tall and brooding. <laughs> yeah, I... Mysterious, enigmatic. A mystery to all the other birds. <laughs> I'd be happy with a heron. I think a heron I think there is there's a there's a stoicness oh. that you know it will be quiet until it needs to deliver yeah and then it will be sharp that a heron is sharp a heron comes in and jabs the water yeah it lets you know like bang that's the statement i'm putting out here and when jack lands a zinger it zings <laughs> that is that's true so yeah i think heron i think heron is very good heron and palm cockatoo your recasted birds yeah for hosting how many humans yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's a point neither of us went with goose Harriet thank you for that I feel like we've just been on a couples therapy yeah <laughs> you're most welcome <laughs> anytime come and see sea squirts and <laughs> let's get let's get those problems out okay well I think that just about wraps us up yeah I mean all that's left is to say thank you Harriet thank for you. letting us look round thank you for having me it's been an honour it's been like it's been one of the most fun days of recording ever. Yeah, <laughs> like it's been great. We've just been able to bimble around a navy base and look at sea squirts and feather stars. Which is a sentence I did not think I'd be saying in 2023. No, <laughs> no, it's yeah. been amazing, and it's you know I'm safe in the knowledge that our biofouling is in the hands of people like you, Harriet. Oh, thank you. I'll hold that trophy. It Hi. makes me proud to be British. <laughs> that our navy is so well protected from the foul of bio. From algae. <laughs> and we might be back. I sincerely yeah. hope so. Yeah. yeah. I think there are more secrets in the sea. Definitely. There's a lot more. There's a lot more we could talk about. Slightly different habitats we could, we could look at where there'd be a lot of different species to wow yeah. and describe in. Yeah, no, thank you very much. Any last any last words, any rousing words you want to give people about the creatures of the sea? Because you've mentioned, you know, about, like, how amazing British sea stuff is. Yeah. Is there any, any message you want to give to the listeners? I would say go and see it. Yeah. So you can see if you live near the seashore or within sort of drivable distance, you know, a nice sunny day, go. I would recommend rock pooling. Like, you can see lovely creatures in all of the anemones that we've spoken about today you know you get the algae in there the sponges you get fish you get blennies intertidally sitting in the in the cracks in the rocks yeah 
go and have a look at it. It's bright, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. If you go on a spring tide when the tide is all the way out, you can see stuff that you'd normally only usually see under the sea. So that's all exposed where you can you can go and have a look at how bright and colourful and beautiful it is. Yeah. And thank you to the Navy. <laughs> yeah. That feels like something we should say. <laughs> Especially because they're going to proof listen to this before we release it. So, hello, Admiral. Hats off to you. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. And rest assured, biofouling is under control. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time. Until next time. Another big thank you to Harrier and the actual Navy for letting our silly little podcast into Navy Command in the first place. We hope you've enjoyed the little field trip episodes and interviews that we've done this summer, because as well as your regularly scheduled Goose content, we're always keen to find new and interesting people, stories, places to talk about. On that note, next week we've got something very exciting to share with you, as how many geese goes to the jungle. We'll see you next Tuesday.